welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops Tay-Sequetan territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequetan Ulu. Although today I am calling in from Algonquin Anishinaabeg territory. And Joe, we have mm-hmm. no territorial acknowledgement today because we are reading a book set in the south of France. Hmm. <laughs> An area not renowned for its indigenous peoples. At least as far as we ignorant people know. So, yeah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, we are reading this week. Um, it's a mini-sode, sort of. Like, we only have a book. We don't have a TV series. And the book is called Piglet by Clementine Beauvais. Joe, mm-hmm. what did you think of this one? This is translated by the author itself. And so I did not have any funky translation issues. I felt like the prose itself was smooth. How was the mm-hmm. experience for you? I quite like this, and I just want to give a quick shout out to listener Laura, who actually put us onto this title. So thank you for the recommendation, Laura. I thought that this was a lot of fun. This is witty, and I was going to say, you know, oh, it's fun and witty and gay, because even though we're actually dealing with some relatively serious topics in terms of bullying and fat shaming and some pretty significant body damage as a result of war and that kind of stuff this book feels so breezy that i just gobbled it up like a sausage you might say (laughs) yeah i 100 percent agree i got a little bit nervous at the beginning of the text because there's a lot of sort of self-deprecatory humor around Mm -hmm. fat bodies with the three protagonists and the author herself is straight-sized and i always get a little bit nervous when i see uh, like a thin author having like a grand old time mm-hmm. about fat bodies. But I actually right. think that this book handles that conversation really well. Um, Muriel, our protagonist, is like super confident in herself and mm-hmm. she has a problem with society and she's cool <laughs> with telling us about it. And I think that um, actually, for the most part, the book handles that stuff really well. This is one of the best-selling young adult books in France, so it's good that it came across our radar because, yeah, it's a very popular title in France. I can totally understand why. Like, this feels in some ways like a bit of a love letter to the French countryside. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of food talk because we got three girls who don't mind eating. So I appreciated the fact that... You know, it's a bit of a a travelogue kind of narrative, right? We're making a trip from the countryside into Paris via bicycle with a, uh, I guess, makeshift trailer that's been turned into a kitchenette. (laughs) It 100% doesn't seem sanitary, Joe, like the food safe issues here. It really doesn't. I wasn't exactly sure how Yader managed to get that license so that they could sell these sausages, but there's almost something fairy tale esque about this narrative of these yeah. three girls who are joined by circumstance because there's a really mean spirited boy who has voted them the three little pigs, aka the ugliest, fattest girls at their school. And I think the thing that works the best about this novel is that they don't 
change. They don't change who they are. They don't get makeovers and become stunning beauties. You know, Mm -hmm. we do learn that they lose a little bit of weight, but it's because they learn to enjoy a little bit of fitness. It's about healthiness, not fatness. But it's not fat shamey, right? Like they're still very comfortable with their own bodies. They learn to accept who they are. And I think for that reason, I can really understand why particularly young women and young women who aren't very thin and statuesque might connect deeply with this book. Yeah, I agree. Okay, you've done a really good sort of I was going to say, I just stepped all over you, haven't I? (laughs) That's okay. I'm just going to fill in a little bit of the blanks around the plot and then we'll Mm -hmm. dig in. Okay. So, yeah, as Joe mentioned, this book kind of kicks off with the the pig competition. Everybody in school votes on Facebook to say who they think the ugliest, fattest girls in school are. It's a competition that's started by a mean-spirited boy named Milo. And we will come to learn over the course of the narrative that Milo and Muriel, our protagonist, were once upon a time best friends. But Mm -hmm. Milo discovered that in order to solidify his own popularity, he had to give her a big old shove. And that's what he does. And he steps all over her. And there's sort of an ongoing thread throughout the text about whether you forgive someone who behaves this way, what Mm -hmm. kindness you owe to them. Those kinds of questions are sort of the kind of ethical questions at the core of the book. But Mm -hmm. what ends up happening is the three girls who are voted onto this list this year, instead of trying to change who they are, which has been the purpose of the list in the past, girls who have been voted onto the list have spent time and effort making themselves into whatever it is that Milo finds attractive. Right. Instead, these three girls uh, team up and they decide, yeah, they're going to cycle to Paris from the south of France. They're going to do, quote unquote, something. But everybody's Mm -hmm. going for their own reasons. Marielle wants to confront her biological father, who is married to the president of France. Uh, She wants to (laughs) she wants to step in and tell him who she is and. Uh, at the same time, she discovers a manuscript written by her mother. Her mother's storyline, Joe, is very relatable content for me. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> She's got a sarcastic brat of a child that she can't help but love. It's an interesting dynamic between the two because you can tell that they love each other deeply, but also there is a fair amount of animosity, like almost mean-spirited ribbing between mother and daughter. Yes. And the mother here has had her own academic dreams, you know, fairly thwarted. And Muriel has discovered this manuscript by her mother that she packs along with her and she's going to take it to try to get it published on her mom's behalf. Mm -hmm. So also along on this adventure are Astrid and Hakima. And Astrid's motivation for going seems to be to just like have a good time. Luckily Mm -hmm. for the rest of the girls, Astrid actually knows how to like maintain a bicycle. (laughs) So she's very useful in that respect. But also like Astrid just seems up for stuff. And she's so grateful to have friends that I think she would have done anything Murel had suggested, including randomly bike to France. Indeed. Yeah. It seems like none of these girls have very strong friendship ties to anybody. Mm -hmm. But Astrid is the most sociable. She's almost the mediator. Like, it becomes very clear at certain points that Hakima will not confide in Muriel because Muriel will make fun of her or she doesn't pretend to understand or even care to, whereas Astrid is very empathetic. And then Hakima is the third girl, and she's only 12. Um, and so it's a big like hurdle to get her parents to agree to let her join the other two. The other two are 15 and 16, respectively. Mm-hmm. 
But luckily, Hakima's brother, Cater, is willing to go along. And Cater has recently returned from the war in, I presume, Afghanistan. Joe, it's not explicit, is it? No, I mean, the book goes to great lengths to not name. So we have yeah. like a funny way of saying it, like it's something Badistan or something like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in fact, there's all this sort of fake anonymizing that um, Muriel engages in throughout the text. And that's one of the things. But um, Hakima, it turns out, wants to go to France to confront the general who is in charge of her brother's group when they were, I guess, like bombarded. Her brother has lost both his legs in that mm-hmm. battle. And he's awaiting an inquest to find out if he's going to be found to be at fault. And so there's this sort of tension between the fact that he wants to be redeemed. Uh, mm-hmm. He has a certain amount of anger, but also his friends have bought him this amazing wheelchair that's hand controlled that he wants to try out. So he agrees to go along to supervise his sister to make sure the girls don't get into any trouble and also to challenge himself. Mm-hmm. And Muriel is in love with him. Yes, she calls him the son because she's yes. so <laughs> she's so in love with him. And it's beautifully not reciprocated because he is no, 10 years older 26. than her. he's <laughs> 26. Yeah. <laughs> I love that we do that. <laughs> yeah, I know. The text doesn't do anything weird with it. Like, it never mm-hmm. makes you feel uncomfortable. He's always just big brotherly, even when she is, like, literally <laughs> slathering mm-hmm. over him. um and yeah so they head off on this adventure as joe says it's really a love letter to the countryside it makes you want to go cycling through the countryside of france it's absolutely beautiful and they sell sausages along the way to earn their money they have a bunch of different you know problems weather is a problem milo comes and sabotages their bikes at one point they get up to all kinds of trouble but ultimately they make it to paris and in doing so they're all able to find out that the thing they thought they wanted to do in paris Mm -hmm. is not actually what they do but they all end up quite satisfied with the choices that get made in the end and it really (laughs) is a very lovely and satisfying and funny little book it's about the journey brenna it's not about the destination but also i mean these are young girls they have this idealized version Mm -hmm. of what is going to happen. And even though the media, like they become this media sensation, because of course they do. Like why are three teenage girls bicycling across the country and they refuse to give interviews because at the end of the day, I think even they realize that they don't entirely know what's going to happen. They set out with this kind of hope and a dream and then suddenly they're on the road and they become sensations. Mm-hmm. And I love this idea that at the end of the day, they do kind of get everything that they were hoping for in a unexpected way. It's not quite what they thought they were going to get, but they all get these happy endings. But again, it's not fantasy like it is, no. you know, that they they get invited to the presidential party. <laughs> That's yeah. a bit wild, but... And there's a great scene because all these famous, like makeup artists and fashion designers want to mm-hmm. clothe and style them for the party and they Carl refuse. <laughs> yes. They refuse it all, right? Which is mm-hmm. one of the loveliest things is Mirella is very adamant that like this journey not get turned into a like look at these girls and their quest to lose weight. Um mm-hmm. although many of the media stories are like that. And there's a sweet protectiveness among the girls. Hakima never knows how famous they are because they don't yeah. want her to look on social media and see the, especially the kinds of things that they're saying about Hakima and Cater in particular. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting, Joe, you set off the top, like there's a lot of serious stuff going on in the book, but it gets handled lightly. Mm-hmm. And there's like 
there's a lot of racism against Hakima and Cater, especially yep. in the rural parts of the book, um, to the point where like they can't be the ones selling the sausages because nobody will buy them if they are. Yeah. And it's interesting because the book doesn't shy away from it at mm -hmm. all, but it also never feels like a movie of the week. No, it's not heavy handed at all. It doesn't feel like, ooh, we're delivering important messages. But, you know, even by the end when each of the girls and hater kind of gets what they're looking for out of the experience, when you kind of learn what they take away from it, it's not, oh, okay, so we needed to exercise more. It's we needed to be prettier. We needed to, like, nothing has been solved, per se. No. The, no. the most important thing that you take away from it is just that they have come together as three friends and they will continue to do so. You know, we learned that they will go on other adventures in yeah. subsequent years or vacations. And that's the thing that they end up taking away. They don't become stars. They don't write books like, yeah, sure, Muriel's mother's book will get published, but it's going to be you know, <laughs> in a very small bookshop that's probably going yeah. to have a limited attendance. Like, their lives are not changed except for, oh, yeah, we all did kind of learn a valuable lesson. Well, this is something that I really appreciate about the book in general is, like, it's never said, like, oh, and now we're going to be popular at school again. In fact, it's mm -mm. kind of assumed that they will still only have each other when they get right. back to school because the world has decided that they're absolute darlings. But, like, mm -hmm. people like Milo and his friends have not – they're they're angrier, right? Because the right. girls have gone against what they wanted they wanted them to do. And so I think that's a really cool part of the book is that the lesson here is more about like look beyond your immediate circumstances to find mm -hmm. the life that you want. And I yeah. love that for teen girl readers. Okay. So we we can take this conversation in two different directions. We can talk about, yeah, the kind of takeaways for young women. And I think the reason why this book became so beloved and became a bestseller. Or we can talk about the way that Muriel handles Milo and mm -hmm. whether or not we find it satisfying. Because I'll mm. confess, I appreciate this idea that she doesn't want to get... You know what? I've decided we're going to talk about the Milo stuff. <laughs> I appreciate that she makes this very adult conscious decision that there is something wrong with Milo. You know, we we hear from his father that he's not quite right and that he's grieving the loss of his own mother, which we knew because Muriel stopped by to try to take care of him mm -hmm. and offer him comfort. And he basically rebuffed her. And then, yeah, he did this horrible contest. But mm -hmm. she ends up lying to the police to make it seem like she kind of goaded him on or in a way deserved it as a way of getting him a more lenient sentence mm -hmm. brenna this happens after he sticks a knife in her mm-hmm yeah, I, so I like this is the yeah. part of the book i was just like i cannot get on board with this she needed to throw the book at this kid I love that nobody is on board with this, right? Her mother is like, yeah, sorry, you did what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Her friends are like, what? Why are you doing this? And even Milo's dad is like, I'm not actually sure why you're being nice to my horrible son. Yeah. I, I agree with you completely. It's one of the more frustrating parts in the narrative. And I think, I think its narrative purpose is to show that Marielle has this sort of larger understanding of the world that mm -hmm. at the beginning of the book, she was quite interested in sort of vengeance against Milo. And now right. she is less so. Mm -hmm. um, but I agree with you that it's not satisfying. <laughs> and, oh. and I think that I actually think that if there's one thing the book does less well, 
it's deal with sort of the the larger cultural ramifications of the behavior of people like Milo, right? Mm-hmm. Like, as we've said, it's sort of refreshing that nothing is resolved in the context of the larger society. Like, that's what makes the book feel believable and not like right. a fantasy story, even when yes. so many elements are fantasy-esque. Like, there are still magazines running like here's how to get thin like these girls are doing articles. Mm-hmm. And it's really frustrating. Right. I think I wanted someone to bear the consequences. Like, shouldn't the principal have been fired when all this hit the media? Like, there's yeah. a lot of sort of places where I wanted to see actual consequences happen that didn't. And so I agree with you that that's really unsatisfying, even if I totally understand what Beauvais is going for narratively mm-hmm. when she does it. A hundred percent. That That's literally how I felt. I thought, you know, wow, okay, this is imparting a very good, very mature lesson. Also, wing, I don't like it. <laughs> I would have gladly accepted either a faculty member to fall or for the school to get into trouble because, yeah, you know, we learned... They have complained about Mm -hmm. this contest because it's in its third year. Marae won for the first two years, and then she came in third in this third year. And each year she complained, well, rather her mother complained on her behalf and even called Milos' dad. And and that's part of the reason why Milos' dad is so understanding of Marae's situation. Mm -hmm. But... The school administrators do this BS argument that, oh, well, that isn't (laughs) happening on school grounds. It's happening on the internet. And as a result, we can't do anything about this bullying, which... Yeah, you know what? If you make a Facebook page and trash the school itself, you know how quick they'll clamp down on that? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But I did find this very, very believable that they would look for ways to get out of being held responsible for the actions Mm -hmm. of a student. But at the same time... I did want that fantasy element. Like, I, you're right. I yeah. want someone to pay. Yeah, because what they what is done to these girls is actually horrible. Like, uh-huh. objectively, explicitly horrible. And the fact that it's just, like, a part of school life. I think one of the biggest kind of bummers is that at the beginning of the book, Mireille is very dismissive of Astrid at first because Astrid mm-hmm. is so emotional over being put on the list. Like, right. so emotional. And Mireille is like, oh, this is because you went to that convent school and you haven't been toughened up. Like, this is just the way the world is. Exactly. I was like, oh, no. Like, no. Be kinder to Astrid. <laughs> Let her be fragile. Let her be gentle. Yeah. Don't take that away from her. <laughs> and I will say there are moments where I think, you know, I'm thinking of particularly when the girls first start to prepare for their journey and they go to the market and they see mm-hmm. the boys from school who have started this Facebook group. Mireille gets really, really mad at Astrid and Hakima because they say all the things that she knows are just going to rile the bullies up, right? Like yeah, she's like, you shouldn't have done it. this. You're so cruel. And Mireille very much blames Astrid and Hakima for the reaction that they're getting. And mm-hmm. I was like, that is not cool. Like, yep. it's not their fault that that's the reaction that they're getting. And like, blaming them for it is not healthy or helpful. Um, and there's moments like that throughout the text. Sometimes I think that Beauvais, in an effort to make Mireille seem extremely strong, makes her like tips that balance from strong into strident and mm. is actually sort of an additional layer of cruelty that the other two girls have to manage. And in fact, Mireille comes to that realization when she realizes Hakima's afraid of her. And like, Hakima won't even tell her when she gets her period because she's afraid. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to see a little bit more development and growth. Like, it's weird 
to me, maybe frustrating is a better word, that Mireille has more compassion for Milo's situation than she ever does for Astrid and Hakima. Yeah, and I appreciate what you're saying, but I actually found that very realistic. Like, the way that young women in particular are turned against each other. Like, Mm. we're almost trained socially to say, well... You know, complaining about something probably isn't going to work if you're a young woman. You should really think about how you can improve yourself, how you can do better. And I fully understand where you're coming from in terms of like, oh, I wish we could have seen this done differently. But I think that actually would have taken the book too much back into fantasy. Yeah, maybe you're right. It made sense to me in part also because I think Malay is so... She's so sarcastic and she's clearly using it as a kind of Teflon shield to protect herself. And the book doesn't really ever need to say, and now she's learned she doesn't need to do that because she is a naturally sarcastic person. Mm -hmm. I think she sometimes loses sight of the fact that not everyone can have that same design or lean into that impulse. And also, maybe she shouldn't have to. Like, wouldn't the world be a better place if she didn't have to? Yeah, I agree with that. I just think, I don't know, I think because she's able to access such compassion for Milo. Mm-hmm. Right. Why are we so quick to forget the boys? Yes! Why are we so quick to forget the boys? Because she's the same. <laughs> she's the same with Hater, where yeah, she, she, is. she is so much more compassionate for him. And it's partially because his... Like, his wounds are literal. You know, biking on this trip really takes a lot out of him because he can't wash properly. And the bike is too big to fit into certain things. Like, there's a great commentary on disability. It's hidden, but it's in there. And, I mean, one of the reasons that she forgives or is so much more compassionate with him is because she likes him. Yeah, totally. And I don't know that she always likes Astrid and Hakima because... She sees them as soft. Like, in some ways, she's a little bit more like Milo than she would care to admit. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And it's interesting. I'm not so sure the book is as conscious of the gender dynamics of forgiveness as we mm. are as readers. You know what I mean? Like, right. yeah. to me, it really stands out the distinction between the way she treats Milo and the way she treats the girls mm-hmm. versus with Cater, you know, it's because she has a crush on him. <laughs> so she's gonna like, stop the bikes and massage his shoulders any chance she gets. You kind of yeah. see that coming. I apologize. I keep saying hater as opposed to yater. And that's my, yeah, my brain is all twisted around this episode. So apologies if I've confused anyone. (laughs) That's okay. Um, I remember it because she has that okay cater thing. So that's how it sticks in my head. Right. (laughs) I do think the book is worth everyone's time, though. I think it's a really refreshing approach to teen girls. It really straddles Mm -hmm. the line, interestingly, between likable and unlikable. Like there are times when I really want to throttle Muriel, Mm -hmm. but I'm never, I never don't want to hear her perspective. Um, So from that perspective, I think it's a really good lesson for other YA writers to see what a complicated female voice can sound like. Mm -hmm. No, I fully agree. And I couldn't help but wonder if part of that was the Frenchness of it. Yeah. Yeah. The Frenchness of it all. Mm hmm. I mean, it sounds flippant and a little bit silly, but it is a completely different culture. They have a different way of approaching things. Like, there's a frankness to a lot of the Mm. character interactions in the book that I don't feel we see often in North American texts. Well, I thought that the whole time we were dealing with the menstruation situation. Like, it was Mm -hmm. discussed so frankly and openly and honestly. The fact that it was discussed at all. Like, I feel like in an American road trip like this, we just very rarely get that 
conversations. So I did appreciate that for sure. Yeah. And I do think there's something to be said here about the author being their own translator because mm. there were moments of wordplay in the text where I was like, holy <sighs> <wordplay>. cow. <laughs> yeah. This is so clever. Like it's – I feel like we've maybe undersold just how amazing yeah, and joyful the writing is. It is. And I think the wordplay is always particularly remarkable in a translated text because there's like there's mm -hmm. like 3D chess going on to make that wordplay work with the translated terms. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it really does help that the translator and the author are the same person here. So right. like the vibes are immaculate when it comes to word choice. Like mm -hmm. I really do get the sense that we didn't lose anything by reading this book in translation, right. um, which is not always the way I feel. So I, no. I thought that that was particularly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hard cosine. Folks, if you have not picked this up, it is a lightning fast read. It's 300 oh, so pages, but you could read this in a couple of days. Yeah, I did read this in a couple of days. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I, re I really did speed through it and I really enjoyed every page. And I don't know why this hasn't been adapted yet. I would totally watch this right? adaptation. Mm -hmm. It feels, I don't want to say it feels so cinematic, but it's really easy to imagine this as a film. Yes. And and maybe we're, we're silly and wrong and they have done it and we just don't know about it. So please prove us wrong if that's the case. Yeah, we've definitely been silly and wrong before. Well, Should yes. we put a pin in it here, Joe? Yeah, let's leave it at that. Great. So in that case, I think that uh, I'll say that if you do know of an adaptation of this text, or if you've read other great works in translation you want us to check out, go ahead and reach out to us at mm -hmm. HKHSPod on the Twitter or on hashtag HKHSPod. Joe, where do they find you? I can be reached at Beast on my remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray, and that's Gray with an A. And for anything more long form, you can find us hkhspod at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. Joe, where are we heading next week? All right. So, Brenna, we are, I guess, going under the channel because we're headed to London. Although we'll, we'll I was going to say we're just going to get back. Because <laughs> we're going to be talking about Heartstopper season two. And if you're reading along with us, then it's actually volume three. Yes, it's mostly an adaptation of volume three with a bit of the dad stuff from volume four. Mm -hmm. so do check it out and uh, join us for that and until next time Joe I will see you on the page and I will see you on the screen but ultimately they make it to France and they're sorry <laughs> keep saying France and I don't know like actually I do know <laughs> man I think I got every single one of those names wrong <laughs> I was just like I should have had them written out because clearly my brain is not working